Welcome to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So in this sermon series, we have been talking about this local liturgy that we speak at the end of every one of our sermons. Um, and in this series called Creed, we've been talking about a lot about insider language. You know about insider language? How many of you know the term Christianese? Anybody here know the term Christianese, right? There's language that Christians use that people who are not part of the church, or you could call it churchese, they hear us say things and they just don't know what we're talking about, right? And if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about with Christianese, maybe, just maybe, you have walked through a casino once in your life. Anybody here want to admit that you have walked through a casino once in your life? Here's the thing about casinos. Casinos have their own, like, ethos and, and liturgy and language. When you walk through a casino, if you don't know what's going on, they're not interested in explaining it to you. Have you noticed this? You walk through, there's lights, there's sounds, there's people huddled around a table and they're, they're doing things that they look like they know what they're doing. And there's all this language that they use in casinos that are so specific to the casino, like hard eight, right? Easy seven, right? There's all these languages that people use. Not that I know all of these, um, but, but uh, if you sit down at a blackjack table, for example, there is a whole language that goes with blackjack. Anybody want to admit that you play blackjack in church? Okay. My friend, right on candy. Um, <laughs> so if you sit down at a blackjack table, the object of blackjack is what? You get two cards, right? And you want them to add up to 21, right? Ideally, what you want is to have enough cards that the dealer has to bust, right? Okay, so there's all these situations in blackjack where you're sitting there and you're looking at a 13 and the dealer's got a six showing, right? And you say to the dealer, if you say to a dealer in a, in a casino, if you say, what should I do? If you say to a dealer, what should I do? The dealer is instructed to say to you, I can't tell you what you ought to do. But... If you ask the dealer, what does the book say? Have you ever noticed this? What does the book say? Well, then they'll say, well, the book says hit. Or the book says stay. The book that they're talking about is the world's greatest blackjack book, okay? I'm not here to endorse it. I'm just telling you, that's the book. <laughs> Think about that. You're sitting at a table. You don't know what's going on. You're an outsider at this casino, and you say, what should I do? And they say, the book says hit. Or the book says stay. That's the language that they use. Now, think about the kind of language that we as Christians use. 
How about this? If you ever talk to someone who's not a Christian, you say, have you been washed in the blood? Say what now? Have you been washed in the blood? No, I had a blood stain that I took it to the cleaners and they still couldn't get it out, right? Uh, How about, do you have the fruit of the spirit? Okay, I don't, what are we talking about? Is this an underwear commercial? What's going on, right? Um, Sir, I think you're backsliding. What? Backsliding? What does that mean, right? How about this one? This will really creep out a non-Christian. The old man is gone and the new man has come. Okay, what story are we telling here, right? People are like, what are you talking about? Hey, you guys are going on a trip. I wanna bless you with some traveling mercies. Anybody ever prayed that? I just pray for traveling mercies. How about this one? Love the sinner and hate the sin. Try that. Go say that out in the world and see how that works. How about this one? This is one that could mean one of two things. One's good, one's bad. I wanna lay hands on you. Come on now, and if you're in the church, you're like, well, come on, bring it, right? But if you're in the world, sit, knuckle up, bro. What's, what's going on, right? I want to lay hands on you. How about this one? Have you been born again? No, nope, just the once, you know? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, God told me to tell you this. Oh, you spoke directly to God, and he told you to tell you that. These are the kinds of things we say. And I think one of the most dangerous phrases in all of the sending is the one we're going to cover today. And that is the idea that God is our father. It's a very dangerous term that we use. I'll unpack it in a little bit. I've I've entitled this sermon bookends because at the beginning of the sending and at the end of the sending, we say, God, you are my father and I will follow you. And at the end, we say, God, you are our father and we We'll follow you. And so today, I want to unpack this idea. Who is God the Father? Who is God the Father? Now, what you need to understand is that the idea of a monolithic God was very, very new when the Jewish people of the Old Testament, the folks that collected the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, when they began to make sense of this, it didn't make a lot of sense to them because in their day, there was a God for this, there was a God for that. A God of fertility, a God of blessing, right? A God of protection. There were different gods that every culture would pray to. And the Jews, when they, inter- when they were introduced to Yahweh, they were introduced to God, the one God, a singular God. And, and, and in fact, what's really interesting, I watched a documentary this week for my Old Testament class. Uh, and this guy made this statement that I thought was amazing. He said that before the Babylonian exile in the Old Testament, um, excavators or archaeologists would find in the ruins of Jewish people multiple gods. They would find statues of multiple gods. These are people that would claim that God, Yahweh, was their God. After the Babylonian exile, they found none because they decided, the Jewish people decided, that's where we went wrong. That's where we messed up. We weren't just worshiping God. We were worshiping all these other gods. We were worshiping uh, the Asherah God. We were worshiping uh, the God of fertility. Uh, In fact, we thought God had a wife and we were worshiping her, okay? If you go back and and look at the archaeologist discoveries of those days, that's what you'll find. But, But after Jesus came for the first 300 years of Christianity, there was this all of this new uh, and interesting controversy. And the controversy was, how could God be God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? The issue at hand was the Trinity, right? The Trinity. So for literally 325 years, 
After the moment that Jesus died, so really about 300 years, Christians argued back and forth because, wait a minute, God is one person. God sent Jesus, that's two different people. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, that's three. Oh, man, this blew their minds. So for 325 years, they wrestled with this. The idea that the God who created, rules, and rescued the world exists in three equal but separate parts was a mind-breaking concept for the early believers of the Christian church. How can the monolithic Yahweh exist in three persons? This was a massive issue. This, this wrestling, this contention, this fight for clarity has really helped us as Christians in 2022, but it really wrecked them. It split the church apart until the Nicene Creed. We'll talk about that in a minute. We talk about God uh, through, the, through the lens of the entire Bible. We have the benefit of that. Think about a Christian in the year 85. They didn't have the gospels yet. They didn't have the letters of Paul yet. They were just pockets of truth going around. It wasn't until they canonized scripture that we understood. For example, we read this scripture at Christmas every year. I'm sure you've heard this. Isaiah 9, it says this, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. This is a prophecy about Messiah, right? Now look at this. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Right, that's awesome. Mighty God, remember we're talking about baby Jesus. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Anybody here ever bumped on that at Christmas? We're talking about little baby, sweet, you know, nine pounds, six ounce Jesus. But he's known as Everlasting Father. You ever bumped on that? This is a, a scripture about Messiah that tells us that from the very beginning, God was three individuals in one person. Look at this in Colossians. G, uh, Paul said this. He says, for in him, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what Paul was saying was, if you ever see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. If you ever see Jesus, he is the full uh, embodiment of the Father, and, of course, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. John said this, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So we got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can the monolithic Yahweh exist in three persons? God is Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. One God expressing himself in three distinct ways, and he expressed himself as the Trinity. Come on, no Matrix fans in the house? The Trinity, the Trinity, come on. Okay, <laughs> so all of this got hammered out at the Nicene Creed. A bunch of Christian leaders in 325 got together and they fought for months until they finally came up with this beautiful expression. I'm gonna read it to you. This is one of those things that's so formative for us as Christians, but we really don't realize how important it is. Look at this, this is what they said. All of these guys get together and they go, okay, here's how we're gonna articulate this crazy idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They say it like this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. This right here is crucial. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Amen. 
right? Amen. That's the kind of thing that literally we could preach through every line of that and get a lot from it. That's deep. It's really, really deep. But the question we're going to wrestle with today, who is God the Father? And I'm going to give you four or five of these. The first one is, he is three in one. He is three in one. Fike, why does that matter? Why does it matter that God the Father is three in one? Because God could have said, call me king. I'll be up there on that throne. You be down there with the peasants. I'll be up there apart from you. He could have said that. Initially, God was above us. He was seated on a high throne in heaven, the highest of all the thrones, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he said, I've got to do something about this. So he sent himself in the form of his son, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. And then Jesus came and he bridged the gap between our humanity and his holiness. And he made a way where there was no way, right? He, he died for our sins. A sinless savior died for a sinner on a sinner's cross, right? That's what Jesus did. So then Jesus had conquered sin and death. He died, he resurrected, he went up to heaven. End of the story. That could have been it. But instead, he poured himself out at Pentecost. He poured himself out. He had promised that it was good that he would go away because the Holy Spirit would come. So now we don't just have God above us or God with us. We have God in us. And it matters so much because you're not going to be able to make it as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus on a daily basis unless you recognize that the power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. Somebody say amen. God is three in one. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. Three distinct roles, one distinct God. He is three in one. Let's talk about this term, Father. Father is a very formal term, right? Anybody here grow up calling your dad Father? Anybody do that? Father, may I have $20? Anybody here do that? Anybody? No? It's very formal, right? You'd say, what would you say? You'd say, Dad, right? Or, hey, Daddy, Dad, Pop. Papa, whatever, right? Whatever your language is. But very, very few of us call our dads father, right? It's a very formal term, especially in a world that loves to denigrate dad. I don't know if you notice this or not. I'm sensitive to it because I'm a dad. But moms are glorified in our culture. Come on, tell the truth. Moms are glorified. On Mother's Day, oh, it's the most important day for mom. Let's pamper her. Let's make a big deal of her. Let's make sure she knows how much she does and how precious she is. By the way, I believe all of this. All you women should be saying amen, okay? Let's make a big deal about mom. Let's give her flowers. Let's make her feel like this is the most beautiful, most important day for all the things that she does for us. Amen, Mother's Day, it's great. What do we do on Father's Day? We just like, we just make fun of dad for all of Father's Day. You know what Dana dressed our son Judah in on Father's Day this year? He came to church wearing a shirt that said, Mom is number one. It's like, wait, wait a minute here. Can I have one day? Can I, can I be celebrated? We denigrate dad in our culture. You know, we talk about dad bod, right? Come on, somebody, dad bod, right? We make fun of dads. We, they're these goofy, knuckleheaded, like, you know, bad shoe wearing, you know, sitting around the grill talking about the Broncos, right? It, like, we just make fun of dad. So much so that there is this, this new product that I found this week. It's called the Dad Bod Fanny Pack, okay? Can you see this picture? It's a fanny pack, and it's shaped like a dad bod belly. Who's buying this? 
if you got this for me for Father's Day, it, that would be it. You would be disowned justice, okay? Right? So, so we, we, <laughs> we have denigrated, and I, I genuinely believe that there is a cultural, there's a cultural, sinister, like low humming frequency to all of this stuff. I think that for God to say, call me Father, I am God the Father. And then for us to find in our culture that we just make fun of dads as much as we can, it bothers me, okay? I just wanna say, it bothers me. At the end of uh, President Barack Obama's presidency, after he had sat behind the Resolute desk for eight years, and after he'd visited you know, towns and countrysides and seen really as much of America as a person can as president, they asked him, the week before he left office, they asked him this question. What is the greatest challenging challenge that America is facing? What is the greatest challenge that America is facing? Now, you might think his answer to that question, would, especially with his politics, might be global warming or health care or racial enmity or, you know, political polarization. His answer was fatherlessness. Fatherlessness in our country. That is an issue. Fatherlessness. And so why do we denigrate dad so much? Why do we make fun of him? Why do we tease dad and say, oh, dad bod, goofy shoes, fanny pack, sitting around the grill, what an idiot. Why do we denigrate dad? Fatherlessness. It's a massive issue. And then God says, hey, listen, I want you to call me father. I want you to call me father. What a thought. Jesus, God, he could have said, listen, I've got a lot of names. In fact, here's how I want you to address me. All of these are true. I want you to call me Jehovah Jireh because I'm gonna provide for you. That's awesome, praise God, Jehovah Jireh, that's cool. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, right? I'm gonna heal you, that's my job. I know you've been wounded, I know the world's been hard on you, let me heal you. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. That means that you carry above you a neon sign that says, I'm with him, I'm with God, Jehovah Nisi. How about Jehovah Shalom? In a world that is bent on anxiety and restlessness, I'll be your peace. I'll be your peace. Jehovah Ra, our shepherd, I'll lead you if you let me. I'll guide you if you let me. If you'll just trust me, I'll lead you to green pastures. Jehovah Sidkenu, I am your righteousness. If you need to know right from wrong, just look to me, right? Look to me. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here. I'm present. The Bible says that he's a very present help in times of need. Somebody say amen. Right? He could have been, we could have just called him Adonai, which means Lord. We could have just called him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We could have called him the Ancient of Days. All of these terms are massive, majestic terms that describe our holy God, right? He could have said, call me these names. Call me these high and lofty names. When Moses said, what should I call you? He said, I am that I am, right? That's massive. That's like a 3 a.m., like, whoa, <laughs> You know, that's like that kind of moment. I am that I am. Let's unpack this for a couple days, right? I am that I am. That's a, that's a crazy idea. Paul said this in Romans. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. You want a bumper sticker for your car? There it is. You want something to put on your refrigerator to remember the, the magnificence of God from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All of that could have been how we thought of God. But he said, no, call me Father. God the Father. We read it a minute ago. This was in John. And the word became flesh. And it dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus understood God as Father. He understood that that's where he came from, and he addressed God as Father. The entire time that you read the Gospels, when Jesus speaks to God, he calls him Father, right? And uh, in John 14, he says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. By the way, this idea that Jesus would, would connote a relationship between he and a heavenly Father, this idea was absolutely what made him persona non grata. It's what made him an enemy to the Jews because he was introducing a whole new idea to this monolithic group of people. He was saying, no, no, we're one. The Father and the Messiah, we are one. And their understanding of Messiah at the time was a political leader, a guy who was gonna come and rescue them from captivity. They were under Roman captivity at the time and they had been under multiple captivity over the course of their lives. And Messiah was gonna come and wreck that and change that forever. And so when Jesus said, no, no, here's the deal. Me and the Father, we're one. It was blasphemy. Look at this in John 5. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. These were fighting words. The idea that Jesus would say, this is the relationship that you and I can have with the father. A lot of people talk about this word, Abba. You know this word, Abba? Anybody ever call your dad Abba? Nobody? Probably not, right? Abba, father. That's actually how Jesus prayed. When he would speak to God the Father, he would say, Abba, Father. Now, a lot of people have interpreted that word Abba to mean dad or daddy. But I read uh, from this uh, historian and this uh, theologian, and he wrote this article about the word Abba. And I'm just going to read it for you. You can read it with me on the screen. It's really interesting. He says, when I landed at the Tel Aviv airport in June 2007, I had to use the restroom after a long delay. Washing my hands in the restroom, I overheard an exchange between a Jewish father and his son. You should know that they both knew English and Hebrew. The father said to his son in English, look at this, when I ask you to do something, I want you to call me Abba. Hearing this, I was surprised by three things. Number one, that he was speaking in English and Hebrew in the same breath. Number two, that he was using an everyday experience for child training, good for him. And number three, the real meaning of Abba is not what I had been taught. Most people think Abba means daddy, but that's not quite right. Daddy doesn't have the bite of Abba. I love that phrase. Daddy doesn't have the bite of Abba. It's personal, which is part of the meaning, but that's not the whole story. Abba doesn't mean daddy. It doesn't mean dad. Abba means, Father, I will obey you. So when you say Abba to God, what you're saying is, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. Abba, Father. It connotes intimacy and obedience. Intimacy, we have a relationship. I trust you. You're my father. You're my dad. You're not just some figurehead. We have a relationship. And obedience, I will follow you. So who is God the Father? He is Abba. He is Abba. 
Can you imagine if your kids called you Abba? Wouldn't that be great? Hey, get ready. Get ready. It's time to get ready. We're going to church. Yes, Abba. Right? I'll get dressed right away. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? And that's exactly what this guy is saying when you speak to your kids and they respond to you. When I ask you to do something, I want you to call me Abba. When the Lord asks you to do something, he wants you to call him Abba, Father, I will obey you. Can you imagine a human being who wouldn't take advantage of that kind of trust? That's hard to, isn't it? That's probably why this word father is so dangerous. Because all of us have had some kind of experience with a dad that has shaped our understanding of God the Father. So Abba means I love you and I will follow you. I love you and I will follow you. Jesus used the word Abba a lot. This is my favorite moment where he says it. This is in Mark chapter 14. He is at the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember this scene? Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's about to give himself unto death for us, for you, for me. And he's praying. It's like, it's gonna be hard. You know, I think it's easy to think of God as half man, half human, you know? I'm sorry, half man, half God, excuse me. (laughs) Half man, half human. God was... Jesus was fully human and fully God. So he had all of the emotions that you and I have, all of the fear and doubt and dread and anxiety. So look at this in Mark 14. He said to them, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And then 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. I love you and I will obey you. Remove this cup from me, but not what I will, but but what you will. Do you see the tension there? It's this beautiful moment where Jesus demonstrates for us what it looks like for us to see God as Abba because he knew that what he was about to do was gonna hurt and he did it anyway because the Lord asked him to. So God was Abba to Jesus Is he Abba to you? Is God your Abba where you would say, God, I love you and I will follow you? We could stop the sermon right now. You could write a journal post, right, and think about how true or not true that is. I want to keep going, though, because that's not all that God is. But the question I want you to wrestle with is, do you approach each day embracing God as your Abba? Because what happens when you do that is you become part of the family of God, Yay, family. We get to be family. Today is family. We get to heaven. That's going to be a family reunion, right? The family of God. And a lot of people, I think, mistake the idea that because God is creator, that means that everybody on the earth are all his children, right? He made them. They must be his. But there's a massive distinction that we need to make between a child of God and a creation of God. All of us We're created by God. The psalm says that he knit us together in our mother's womb, right? All of us were created by God, but that doesn't mean that all of us are part of the family. To become a part of the family, that requires adoption. You gotta be adopted into the family, and there is only one way to be adopted into the family of God. Remember earlier when I said, are you born again, right? This is what we're talking about. Romans 8 says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Look at this. As sons by whom we cry, everybody say it, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So before Jesus, we had a creator. Everybody in here, we had a creator. Through Jesus and only through Jesus, we have an Abba Father. So who is God the Father? He is our Father. And by the way, when Jesus was asked, hey, can you teach us how to pray? What did he say? Start like this. Our Father, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is because we need to remember that we are a part of God's family. Um, Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but God, you are my Father. God, you are our Father. That wasn't the original bookends of the sending. Anybody remember the original? What was it, Bill? Huh? What do you mean? What was the original bookends of the sending? It was what? You know it. No, no. Do you know what it was? That's right. I am Vanguard. You are God. That's what it used to be. Let me tell you something. In 23 years of ministry, I have never been the, the pinata of more emails and more like anger and spite and just absolute insidious rage than when I wrote the sending and started it by saying, I am Vanguard and you are God. People were very, very angry with me. I promise you. Like to the point where like people left the church because of I am Vanguard. We did a video where we had a bunch of people in a photo booth say, I am Vanguard. And we showed that video. And the next week, I have never experienced the vitriol that came with that that decision. It was crazy. People were very angry about it. By the way, I stand by it to this day. I stand by it because I believe the idea. (laughs) I do. I believe the idea that you are Vanguard Tri-Lakes, right? This place, this barn is just a shell. You, you guys, you're Vanguard Tri-Lakes. So when you leave this place, I've said it before, and people ask you, where do you go to church? I hope you say, I don't. I don't go to church. I am the church. I'm a part of the movement of God. Anyway, I stand by it. Uh, But people were very mad. They're very upset about it. And so we went to the elders and we talked about it. Okay, what can we change it to? We don't want to scrap the whole sinning just because people are mad about this whole thing. Uh, And so we, we talked about the fact that God is my father. He's your father. He's our father, right? So how do you know that your dad loves you? This is the question that I, that I want to talk about for a moment. Everybody in this room has a different experience with their dad, right? By the way, every person in this room has a different love language. Do you know that? How many of you people would say you know your love language? Raise your hand if you know your love language. Okay, there's a beautiful, awesome book. I would totally recommend this over the blackjack book. This is a better book, okay? Uh, it's, called, it's called The Five Love Languages, and it will benefit you more than the blackjack book, I promise, okay? Because once you figure out your love language, and, and this is the way it works. People most commonly give love the way they most desperately want to receive it. Okay, so my son is a hugger. He walks up, he loves to hug people, right? If, if you know justice, you've been hugged by justice. He just puts his head on your shoulder. You're like, oh, that was sweet. That's because he wants you to walk up to him and hug him. That's right, right? Some people are very effusive in their praise. They'll say, man, I love that dress. Man, your hair's looking great. They desperately want for you to say, you're looking good too, right? That's what's going on. There's however you commonly give love is how you desperately want to receive it. And so I love to ask my kids this question. Does your dad love you? Do you know that your dad loves you? How do you know? I asked Judah last night. I said, Judah, does your dad love you? Yes. (laughs) I said, how do you know your dad loves you? You tell me all the time. (laughs) 
So, and if I ask Justice, Justice, does your dad love you? Yes. How do you know? Because you like to spend time with me. You like to do things with me. You meet me on my terms. We watch a show together and we sit and we talk about it, right? That's how I know that you love me. So think about the fact that your God, your Father, your Abba knows you so well and loves you so distinctly. He knows you inside and out. God is your Abba Father and he's very good at loving you. He has learned your love language. Somebody say amen. He has learned your love language. And that's beautiful. He's leading you in a tailor-made, handcrafted, one-of-one strategy to bring you to wholeness and maturity. He loves you, so what? So that you can become more and more like him. That's the idea. That's the process of Christianity. The closer you get to him, the more you call him Abba, the more that you obey him, the more that you embrace him, the more that you become like him. And that's good, good news. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your triggers. Come on, somebody. I know all of my wife's triggers. Do you know your wife's triggers? You got to know your wife's triggers. That's important because you got to stay away from them. (laughs) He knows your gifts and he made you. He knows you. He loves you. Our father wants you to be a part of his family. And here's the deal. When you become part of the family, it's not just so that you can get from God. You are a part of the family because there's something that's so specific to who you are. And he wants to use that for his glory. He wants to use that to bless the people around you. In sharing your gifts, you contribute to the advancement of the kingdom of God. We had a Feast with the Fikes this week. We actually had three Fikes at the Feast with the Fikes this week. Me, me, Dana, and little Judah. And we met with uh, a couple of the Debskis, who they couldn't be here this weekend, but they're part of the church. I'm excited to have them. Um, But anyway, they were talking about all the ways that they have been useful in previous churches and how they would love to serve. They would love to find ways to to connect and to to offer themselves to the church. And I just sat there going, this is amazing. This is what it's supposed to be. Because I think very often people look and they shop for churches based on what they can get from the church. What if you shopped for your church based on what you could offer, right? Too many people shop for churches based on what the church has to offer. Worship, teaching, children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, underwater basket weaving ministry, right? Like, like, what can you give to me? And listen, all those things are important. I want us to have great worship at Tri Lakes. I hope the teaching is good. Uh, (laughs) I want our children's ministry to be awesome. I want your kids to come home going, I love our church. That stuff matters. But this Sunday morning experience is not what a church is all about. It's how we as a community work together to live on mission for Jesus. Amen? You with me? That's the idea of church. So what if Christians church shopped based on how they might be able to contribute? Now, don't take it too far, okay? Don't walk into the church and say, you're welcome. Good thing I'm here. You know, blessed. I'm here. Right? Don't, you know, don't shake the dirt off, right? Don't walk in being like, you're welcome. It's a good thing I showed up. Don't be arrogant. But walk in and say, how can I help? What can I do? Oh, can I pick up a chair? Oh, can I serve with the kids? Oh, I mean, there, that, that table in the back with all the ways that you could contribute, there are opportunities for you to contribute to this community. Amen? You with me? So what if it weren't about what the church could offer you? but what you could offer the church. In the culture we live in, this is true, the low humming frequency of our society is consumerism, right? What what we can afford and how it can affect us. I bought a new shirt. 
It makes me feel really good. I bought a new truck. It makes me feel awesome, right? What, what can you afford and how does it affect you? That's the way the world works. A church should not be comprised of consumers, but of the consumed. Look at what Hebrews says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Who is God the Father? He is the consumer, not the consumed. Don't come here to get God. Don't come here to receive. Be a part of the community, the family of God, because you want to offer yourself to his service. Abba means I love you, and I will obey you. God, how can, I be, how can I contribute? How can I be helpful, right? That's the idea. Here at Vanguard Tri-Lakes, uh, I've been saying this from the very first week that we started meeting. There's four things, it's kind of mentioned up there. There's four things that we're fighting for, for you, that we wanna see you live out, ways that we feel like you should hold us in our leadership responsibility. Uh, this is what you should hold us accountable for, helping you to grow in groups. If you're not in a growth group, you're doing it wrong, Okay. All right? So if you're not in a growth group, come talk to me. We'll get you plugged into one. We want to see you serve in sincerity. That means however you're designed. If you love kids, we want you serving with kids. If you hate kids, stay away from them, okay? All right? Serve in sincerity, all right? We want you to give in generosity. Ebenezer Scrooge was the bad guy in the story, right? He was a miser. He was miserable, we don't want you to be miserable. We want you to give in generosity and we wanna see you live on mission because my job as your pastor is to mobilize and equip a movement of disciple makers. Somebody say amen. I want you to remember that. My job is not to preach on Sundays. That's important. That's a big part of my job. But man, if all you hold me accountable for is your pastor is how good was the sermon, we have the wrong values. You feel me? The idea here is my job is to help you to live on mission for God. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm failing you, okay? So we've talked about God, you are my father. Let's talk about the hardest phrase in the whole sending. I will follow you. That's the hardest phrase. The most dangerous phrase is God, you are my father. Because everyone in this room has had some kind of experience with a dad who has either affected or scarred you to understand the concept of, of father, father God. I bet you if I asked you to pull out your phone or pull out a piece of paper and write down three things you love about your dad and three things you don't like about your dad, even justice could find three things that he doesn't like about his dad. And he's got the best dad in the room, okay? Uh, but even justice could write three things that he doesn't like about his dad. Those three things are going to affect his understanding of God the father. Does that make sense? So you can admire or you can admonish your dad. But the point is, you've got to follow your father. And that's the point. Who is God the father? He is who we follow. He is who we follow. And in a world that's built on like, follow, and subscribe, right, where everybody's asking you, everybody's asking you, would you like me? Will you please like me? Press the button if you like me. Do you like me? Give me a heart. Give me a thumbs up. Do you like me? Will you follow me? Will you pay attention to everything I post, right? Will you subscribe to my life? That's the world we live in. God says, cool, but will you follow me? Will you follow me? 
What's he up to? What's the Holy Spirit up to? What are his eyes on? Who's he chasing? Who's he pursuing? How can I help? How can I participate? Man, if that's where your eyes are, if that's where your heart is, then you found Abba. You found the Father. God, you are our Father, and we will follow you. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 843 You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.